welcome to Black Light Mass Incarceration Show. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Black Light Mass Incarceration Show is a space that is used to uplift the unheard voices of the criminal and social justice issues that many face today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Sponsored by Emancipate NC. Okay. But yeah, I want you, we had your husband on last week. Um, yeah, this week. And so I wanted you to tell your side of the story and, you know, how, cool. how, how has his incarceration and wrongful conviction affected you? And, you know, we can just talk. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, thank you, Sierra, for, you know, for allowing us to to give our side of the story too and for having Tim on. It's, he appreciated it and I certainly did. It's, yeah, our story began back in 2014 and how we came to meet, because it's it's a very strange story, but I was watching a documentary and it was about guys in prison who had been serving very long sentences and one of the men in particular was saying how after all of those years he had lost friends along the way and he was basically only talking with his mother and he said, you know, when she's gone, I won't have anyone. I won't have any connection to the outside world. And that really struck struck me and I, I it left me feeling very sad and I thought how horrible, you know, must that be to be locked away and to feel like you've got nobody and I just thought it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And they put up a, at the end of the show, they put up this address for a website. It was for like pen pals. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to write to somebody. I'm going to find somebody who's in a situation like that and, and see if I can just make a difference, you know? So, and I remember, you know, as a young girl, my nan used to say to me, she used to say, Dan, you know, if there's only one thing in this world you can do, just try and help someone. And so that kind of kept playing through my mind a bit. So that's yeah. how it started. Because it's, they lose a lot of friends. I had a, a friend of mine that's incarcerated and he sent me a message the other day and said his friend was shipped off and he said he didn't sleep well. And so when you're mm-hmm. incarcerated, it's hard to maintain relationships because people are constantly yeah. being shipped. And so that relationship is broken. And I know my husband mm-hmm. mentioned that he doesn't get close to people because you never know when they're going to ship or you're going to ship. So it, yeah. it, it creates like a social... I guess, disconnection, because that means you don't really want to talk to anybody because you're afraid to get close to them to lose them. Yes. And I mean, how sad is that? Very sad. I mean, like I just know for myself, you know, like at work, like it's really important to have like my little group of friends and and to have that social contact. And well, you know, even when you start in a new job and you don't know anybody and you feel so isolated. I can't imagine what it must feel like for people locked up who don't have that. It'd be terrible. It is so. And sometimes, you know, everybody dies off, so they have nobody to talk to. Oh. Oh, and, And when you hear these stories about, oh, my gosh, these people who, you know, they say, oh, you know, my 
I've lost this relative and this relative and, and you know, to not even be able to go to a funeral. I know. Or, or if they're sick, you know, you can't see the person, you can't. Oh, I just think it's terrible. It is. Um, I think it's awful. So that's basically how our story started anyway. Yeah, and I, I remember, oh, my gosh, I remember going through the whole list from A to Z and um, it took me weeks going through the profiles, you know, like some profiles straight off the bat, you're like, yeah, you know. I mean, people are honest and they say what they want. What attracted me to Tim's was it was just like bare bones. It was just he said that he, you know, he was in, he didn't say I've been wrongfully convicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said um, I was sentenced to 63 years with no parole, convicted of murder. I'm a U.S. Marine veteran. And straight away for me, because I'd been in the Navy, so that kind of resonated. I thought, okay, yeah, yeah. I thought that that's kind of we've got that shared interest. And I must admit, I wrote the letter, and I really, I guess, I really didn't expect to get a, a letter in return. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it was just uh, yeah, like I know throwing throwing your fishing rod out there, huh? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was just really odd. And then when I got it, it was like a six-page letter. And at first, I thought, "Oh, shoot!" I thought, you know, he he told me he had a large family and this and that, and he sounded like a really upbeat kind of guy. And I thought to myself at first, I thought, "Oh, well, this is kind of." I was kind of hoping to help someone who didn't have anyone, <laughs> you know, and he kind of didn't fall into that category, but. I wrote back and then it kind of just snowballed from there and it just kind of grew. So, yeah, that um, very different, very different to how what I, I never in a million years would have thought that I would be writing to somebody from another country across the other side of the ocean who's incarcerated. Never thought that would ever um, happen, happen, yeah. yeah. But you just never know what's around the corner, do you? You don't. But I mean, I think that's important because I always encourage people to reach out to people that's incarcerated. Just look somebody up and reach out to them because yes, they need that support. And you never know with you know just you communicating with them what it could do for them. You know what I mean? And so it's important. Absolutely. We- you know, and and it just I mean, like Tim's Sally, he. He doesn't really have anyone to write to and occasionally he's an artist and occasionally I'll send him some graphics that he can draw and you kind of get the impression that he really looks forward to getting, you know, a JPEG and it, it just, it really just the simple act of writing a letter or sending a JPEG means the world to someone. Something so simple. Simple. You know. Easy. Yeah. Easy. It takes you, you know, and it doesn't matter if you just write a few paragraphs, you know, it's just that they know that somebody out there is thinking of them and it makes the world of difference. It's just a connection, isn't it? Yeah, it's just the connection. I mean, I never thought that, I mean, me and Jeff knew each other before. um, Yeah. When we were younger, but I never thought that we would be back together. And so reconnecting, we reconnected in 2019. Um, yeah. So it just, you know, blossomed from there because it kind of felt like 
you know, that old teenage love. And so that's how we blossomed. That's lovely. It's a lovely story. Thank you. So tell us, since my friend is, is of course, if you haven't can tell, she's from Australia, from down under. Yes. Um, G'day, mate. (laughs) (laughs) She's out there with the kangaroos. (laughs) Yep. Kangaroos, koalas, wallabies. So tell us, is it difficult to maintain a relationship in marriage being so far apart? And then, well, I want you yeah. to ask the question first. Sure. You know what? At the start it was because at the start uh, I thought, oh, okay, once I learned that he was wrongfully convicted, I thought, I had no idea about wrongful convictions in America. And I thought, oh, I read the transcripts and I thought, this guy's clearly innocent. Oh, sure, a lawyer will pick up his case and he'll be out within the next 12 months. (laughs) And so I was really, really eager to get over there. And at the start, yes, it was. I was eager to get over there. I wanted to be able to visit because, you know, on social media you would see that you know, everybody else gets to visit every weekend and, you know, it's total, a totally different vibe. So it was kind of difficult at the start. Um, but as the years have progressed and what we're in our ninth year now, I've kind of, I kind of got used to it. And Tim's like, he rings up whenever he can. We send lots of JPEGs. At the start, we used to write lots of letters um, and I used to send lots of cards so, yeah, it, it it got easier as the years went on, but but yeah, every now and then you you think, oh well, gee, you know, like I really would love a visit. It was hard after I went and visited. I didn't want to, uh, yeah, I didn't want to come back home. I wanted to just stay over there. But you, you get a shot of reality again, and you touch down back to earth, and life goes on, you know. But eventually, I want to get over there. So hopefully, fingers crossed. So how do you control the emotions? Like, because I know, you know, sometimes you just get this wave of just missing them and you just sometimes you just cry a little bit, you know, waddling. You do. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Look, I think I had to change my mindset. I had to just tell like at the start. Yes, absolutely. And when when, you know, when they go on lockdown and you don't hear from them for a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever. And that was terribly difficult at the start but I realized I had to change that whole mindset and I had to do a reset and I basically I think I just talked myself down from that being missing him and thinking oh my gosh I wish I could be there and I just said to myself look I'm the one responsible for the decisions I made I chose to enter into this relationship knowing full well that he had a 63-year sentence with no parole and, you know, I just got to live with it. And I've got to look at it from the positive side that we're very lucky we get phone calls. I mean, considering, yeah, I'm in Australia and I'm very lucky I'm getting phone calls, as many as I do, and we've got JPay, so... You know, that's I I think that's how I look at it. It's just a change of mindset. It is. And and I think that's that's a lot. I'm glad you gave that information because I think a lot of women try to figure out how they can handle it, especially when they have a lot of time. 
Um, mm. We handled that mentally, you know, having those overwhelming emotions of missing him and wishing he could be home and just having yeah. through all that. So do you, I know I get it a lot, but do you get yeah. being like, well, why are you with him? He's got all that time. And do you think you can do that time and watch your, yes. and you know what I mean? Like, do you get that? Yes. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, people look at you like you've got like, uh, you know, two heads <laughs> and, um, and, and what's, what's wrong with you? I know when, um, I know when I did, um, I did a, a thing for 60 minutes and, I remember some. I remember the producer from the show saying to me, "Whatever you do, don't look at the comments. Don't look at the viewers' comments." And you know what? It's like putting candy in, <laughs> putting a chocolate bar in front of me and saying, "Just sit there and don't touch it." It's like you got to touch it. So yeah, I, had, <laughs> I had a look at the comments, and oh boy, people people are vicious. Yeah. People are really vicious. And what never ceases to amaze me is the fact that people talk about you as though they really know you and know your situation. And I think that was a very interesting lesson too because, you know, people can say the most hateful things but, you know, like it's just now it's just like, water off a duck's back because I just think, well, you don't know me. You don't know my situation. I'm doing this because I want to do it. And, you know, I'm in my lane, you stay in your lane. But yeah, I, I, I had a lot of people from work too at the start. They were, you know, they were just, they couldn't believe it when they found out that I was, because I kept it pretty quiet and I didn't really say anything. And then when the time came that I was going over to America, you know, I told my closest friends and they were like, what on earth are you doing? You know, like you're ruining your life. You have, you, you, you're missing the chance of getting married, you know, and having that happily ever after. Um, you know, you're missing out on the opportunity to have any children, mm-hmm. you know. And I, so I, you know, I said, well, I've made up that this is the, this is what I've chosen. This is what I'm going to do. And it comes back to that mindset thing too. I chose this, so I better make the best of it. Yeah. And I think that's what it's about making the best of it and finding love in situations that people feel like love shouldn't be. Because I, I feel like a lot of people feel like, cause people have a long amount of time, you know, we have 25 to 31 years that yep. deserve love because they have either like yeah. old or they have 60, 70 years that they don't deserve to be loved. And that yeah. since they're not physically here and you can't go on vacation, you can't, that, that defines your relationship and your love. And it doesn't like, it doesn't define it at all because at any time a law can change at any time something can happen mm. and they can be let go and come home. So yes, I get that a lot too. I was just wondering, like, you know, how do you look at it? Because I get that a lot. And I'm just like, I'm here. Like, I love him. He makes yeah. me happy. And this is this is what it is. Whether it's 20 years from now, 30 years from now, whatever. I'm here. I'm not yeah. anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, we're like, we're all on our own journey. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's it, it's just individual's choice and what you can live with. I sometimes... You know, like I, I think 
along the way I have seen people sort of peter out like you see them on social media and they share all the details and everything and then you know a few years later you, you don't see them again so uh, I mean there are those there are those cases where things just don't work out mm-hmm. and I mean that's fine but I think you know like like yourself if you've got that strong basis you're going to be fine I mean, you things know. don't work out whether they're free. I mean, sometimes things just don't work Absolutely. out incorporated or free. It doesn't really matter. I need people to stop putting location on. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. It doesn't I mean, doesn't you matter. Have- you know, you can have a relationship out here and it doesn't work. The same thing you can have of course. Here and it not work out, you know. Oh my gosh. I know. Like they spend the, you know, life savings on the wedding reception and and like 18 months later. They're divorced. That's it. They're yeah, they're divorced. Yeah. You know, so it's it's the same thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think so. You know, it's just prisons, just like a microcosm of you know what we're dealing with outside, and yeah, yeah. definitely. So let's talk yeah. about his wrongful conviction. How did since he didn't display it, did you figure it out, or he just didn't want to say that he was wrongfully convicted? Uh, no, he didn't say. He didn't say at the start. Um, it wasn't until a few letters in, and then because he said to me, he said, you know, because he was wrongfully convicted, and he said, I don't want you to feel like you've got to do anything or help me. He said, you know, he said it's a long road, blah blah blah. You know, it's uh, it's not a, it. It's well, as we know, wrongfully convicted advocates it's like a a whole pandora's box but it was basically he didn't want me to feel like i had to do anything but once he told me yeah that's when i i got stuck into everything and oh my gosh i couldn't believe (laughs) couldn't believe you know that this kind of thing happened i had no idea Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean, it was the same thing with me. So let's talk about the challenges because I know that it is a lot of challenges when people are saying they're wrongfully convicted. It's hard to get the necessary help. You know, you yeah. people who will look at the evidence and be like, oh, well, I don't really know if, you know, like I reached out to one person. He's like, well, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I wish, well, this is what he said. Let me stop. Yeah. And speak. <laughs> he said yeah. that he don't know if talking to the co-defendants would make a difference, which no, it won't. You need to talk to the victim because the victim was the one that really placed him in the house. Um, When he wasn't in the house, when all the witnesses that were outside said, you know, that Jeff was outside. And then he was like, well, I need to see, you know, their transcripts. And I'm like, okay, well, I sent that to him today. And Mm -hmm. he was like, well, he said, I wish he wasn't there. It would be more easier to prove he wasn't there. And I'm like, well, duh. You know, of course we wish he wasn't there. <laughs> yes. But I mean, yes. there, so it was wrong place at the wrong time, but he wasn't in yeah. that Pacific house when that went down. He was outside in the car. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So it's it's a difference. You you have to work with what you got. And so, you know, yeah. it's hard to find help, especially, you know, when you're wrongfully convicted, we have a plea deal. So a lot of people don't even want to touch it because that's the yeah. here. So what have you ran into, or you all, both of you? Well, it's it, it, the hardest thing for us is that every lawyer that we've approached has said, well, you know, we can see he's innocent, but, you know, unfortunately we don't have that smoking gun. 
and we need that to get back in the court. And it's, it's the same every time. You know, I, I was talking to Emily Munn, who's an attorney in Virginia, and she was one of the people that suggested to Georgetown that they take his case. And she said to me, she said, you know, she said, if I had had Tim's case and taken it to court, she said he'd never have been convicted. And and I remember saying to her, well, what can we do? And she more or less was like, well, you just got to be very lucky. And I kind of thought, well, yeah, you kind of, at that point I thought, oh, there's no, there's no help for us really if she says that. But it's that's that's the along the way we've had the same thing, you know. We just we that they say we just need a bit more information. We just need a bit more information. But there's you know when it's a non DNA case, mm-hmm. um, and the police were involved. It was the deputy sheriff's son, so they've tied everything up in a tight knot, just enough so that you cannot get it back to court. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's just very frustrating very frustrating and um i mean all you can do is just keep chipping away at it and hoping that one day you stumble across that bit of evidence that you can use but they make it almost impossible don't they to get back in the court that's the problem really isn't it it is and my thing is there's a lot of cases where you're not going to stumble across new evidence you know Mm. unless oh yeah you have somebody that's really invested in investigating if there was exculpatory evidence that wasn't yes get over yep because that can definitely get you back in court but a lot of times you have you have what you have what is in front of you is what you have and you know yeah. ineffective assistance of counsel um yes can also yep. get you back in court you know what i mean as long as you meet those two burdens and you know the guy walt that i was that i did the last pa- podcast with he was like you know it's always a loophole He's like, that's what I look for. I look for the loopholes. And I'm like, right, yes, yeah, loopholes. So, um, you know, it, well, maybe just trying to do like New York did and just advocate, which has got to be a lot of us doing that, but advocate for the law. I mean, for the state to change the law, which I were in North Carolina and they probably would never. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but to change the law, to make it easier for people to get back in when they've had wrongful convictions, because they've made it impossible like everywhere really impossible yes for you to get back in court if you've been wrongfully convicted because you have to have new evidence or a witness has to recant their statement yeah and sometimes you don't get either one you know what i mean exactly exactly i mean yeah we yeah i know it's it's just very hard i mean we're very fortunate that we've got a wonderful investigator. So we're, you know, blessed that in that respect. Yeah. And and hope yeah, hopefully something will turn up. But yeah, the whole, you know, police and prosecutorial misconduct. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, p- poor investigations, coercion, mm-hmm. you know, it's all illegal I, stuff that's not yeah. not held accountable for. That's Absolutely. And and things that go missing from reports, you know, evidence, um, destruction, you name it. I mean, I mean, in Tim's case, like the state police released his truck before it had even been tested, you know. So it's, oh my gosh, it's just a minefield really. But it's it's funny because you know how um, on, on Twitter, that post that I I sort of 
swung in your direction. It was um, promoting promoting a day out with the Second Look Coalition from one of the states, mm-hmm. and they were saying, you know, where you can connect with local advocates and elected officials, and we're working to advance Second Look legislation in our state. And and I said something to you like, um, oh, do North Carolina or Virginia um, <laughs> have anything like that? And it was like a no. No, no. We had a second look bill that was, I want, I think they said that it was brought up, but I mean, we had our, our legislative stance slate, slate is on a totally different. And then we have a conference of DAs that stops all criminal justice bills before it even gets to politicians or yeah. and they advocate against it. So that's what yeah. stops us from being able to do anything is that conference of DAs. So they're so nasty and people are nasty. There are some very, yeah, I know. And that's why, and I don't mind putting a target on my back um, when it comes to social media, but that's why I'm so, and people probably hate me for it, I'm so passionate about trying to get more of a voice for the wrongfully convicted because I just feel like that's a group that's being drowned out by all of the other groups. And don't get me wrong. I believe in second chances. Everybody deserves a second chance and they need theirs. But all I'm saying is there's a whole lot of innocent people in there and they never got their first chance, you know. And I think it's important that they're, that they're heard and I don't think they're being heard. I think every every year I feel like they're being drowned out more and more and more and every post that I see, seems to be only geared towards, you know, that group of people. And I don't know, I'm just very passionate that I feel like we need more organisations for the wrongfully convicted and I don't think we have them. We don't. We really don't. Um, There's not enough push behind wrong. I mean, you just, I mean, you can tell because, you know, we see posts every day about people who have change.org petitions because their loved ones Mm. wrongfully convicted. So that just goes to show you that they are put in the back when they should be put in the front because they they didn't commit a crime to be there. And a lot of them have significant amount of time. Some have the death penalty of life. Yeah. You know, Tim has 65, mine has 25 to 31. Um, So it's, you know what I'm saying? And so you're losing your life for something that you didn't do. And you know, when you're professing because you know you didn't do it. And then it's like, it yeah. goes unheard. There's really no help out there. Um, no. I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. I don't. <laughs> I, don't I don't get it. I, I don't get it either. And that's why, like, I'm just ripping my hair out because it, it's it's almost as though the wrongfully convicted don't exist because there's such a strong push for second chances mm-hmm. um, that that's all people focus on. And I don't understand why people are not getting behind the innocent guys in prison. You know, I, I can write so I can write all of these different tweets and even people who are who claim to be about the wrongfully convicted, they will completely bypass anything I do because they don't want to ruffle any feathers. They want to be kind of like one one foot either side of the fence. And I feel like you can't I, I feel like you cannot do that because 
you know, you're not you're not becoming strong enough. You're not building up a strong enough voice. I think you've got to be either one or the other. You know what I mean? And um, I don't know. I sometimes I feel like it's a losing battle. I I, I don't get it. It is. That's yeah. why I made this platform. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, you see, I have a lot a lot of wrongful conviction. You know, podcast interviews on here because there are so many yeah. that have been wrongfully convicted, like. The guy that I did, I don't know if you listened to that episode, but he's been in there 42 years and was wrongfully convicted. And they told him he could have been mm-hmm. out in 1990 and he's still in there, which he might get out. Yeah. Now. He's getting out now because of our juvenile review board. But yeah, if yeah. He had that, then he probably wouldn't have been out. He probably would have died in prison. 42 years. But it's woeful. And I mean, isn't that a, that's torture. That is absolute torture. And this is the thing, you know, like people will talk, the people will say, oh, it's, you know, it's terrible for, you know, these second chances and blah, blah, blah. And you think, yeah, but it's torture for the people who actually didn't do anything, right. you know. Right. And and I know I offend a lot of people saying that, but it's the truth. You know, I cannot imagine how I would feel if I was stuck in prison for something I didn't do and I was having to endure everything that they do. Yeah. I don't know how I could possibly get through that. I don't either. Uh, you know, I, I I think about my husband all the time. Like, how do you get through that treatment and being labeled and looked at when you didn't yeah. do anything? Like, he wasn't even, you went in the house. Like, the evidence is clear. Like, clear you were never in the Yeah. House. So I don't, I'm not understanding why it's so hard to get help when you see the clear evidence but i guess it's just the way that the united states have made their laws when it comes to because they don't want people to get out i mean you know they make a lot of no oh no it's a billion dollar yeah you know that's well it's how they make their money absolutely you know and and the other two the other thing i wonder about too you know it's it's a lot easier for you know politicians to to get up on their soapbox and say oh you know um you know we, we it's we, you know we're all about forgiving and you know um second chances and it's a lot easier for them to do that than to admit that they mm-hmm. got it wrong mm-hmm. and that they've put away all of these innocent people isn't it mm-hmm. they will they don't never want to admit like it takes a lot for them to admit that they have wrongly convicted somebody like and I mean a lot. I've only seen a handful of politicians and prosecutors that have admitted. And then some of them have admitted like years after they retired. And I'm like, well, why didn't you do that in the beginning if you knew you didn't have the evidence or you knew that evidence did not match up to convict? Because I think people forget. It has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. And so I think that's yeah. why they go get layman people who know nothing about law to decide on somebody's life because they really don't understand law like law it can be complicated to understand because it can be interpreted in many different ways but yeah it's still the responsibility of both sides prosecution and defense to do a thorough investigation to ensure that the person that they have accused really committed that crime beyond a reasonable doubt now they don't want to let it go they want to convict you on circumstantial evidence or they want to make up evidence or have an expert lie about evidence just to get you convicted that are really truly going after the person that did it or truly yep. understand that this person had nothing to do with it and you're going to drop the charges and let them go. But in America, they thrive off of that because that gets them votes. Yeah. 
that gets them votes here. That's their main thing. Oh, look how many people I prosecute. Look yep. how I've been tough on crime. But the numbers don't match your tough on crime attitude because you have all these people that's incarcerated and people are still committing crimes. So you're still not addressing yep. the root cause of why crimes are being committed. No. It really is evil, you know, to to be putting people, locking people up just for votes. It It's real. I... I do not know how those people sleep at night time, how they can, how prosecutors can put away somebody that they know is clearly innocent. I do not know how they function. Well, I want you to talk to us about how, how Australia, because I know I kind of asked you about how was Australia's criminal justice. And from what you told me, it's nothing like America. No, no. I mean, like our um, our sentencing is, you know, they do a lot less years. That's for st- for starters, you know, um, and the conditions are so much better. So they're more geared towards rehabilitation. They're not as good as the models in um, Norway. Norway. Yeah, not as good as that, but they would probably come like a pretty close second or third in regards to how – they treat, you know, their people in prison. A lot more programs, a lot more educational programs, the their accommodations, mm-hmm. you know, they look more like a backpacker's room than nothing. Oh my gosh, nothing like, like the and yeah. <laughs> yeah, nothing like that. They they give them incentives, like at the end of the week, they might say, you know, okay, you've been, you know, everything's gone really well and you can, like, they give them like a menu for takeaway. So they make them feel like they're still, you know, if they, if they, I, I don't know, I, it's just totally different. They treat, they treat um, the families different. The families go, they have um, like a cafeteria where you can get a hot meal, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And you can go and sit outside and, um, you know, you don't have to, I don't know what it's like in North Carolina, but do you have like the chair opposite and you have like a little tiny table in between? Is that sure. how they do things? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's none of that. So we like have a big table. It depends on where you're at. Now, some of them still have yeah. tables in between because of COVID, but you have a big table. Some prisons you can sit beside of your loved one and like, you know, really sit beside them. And other prisons. Yeah. They want you to sit across from them and then go to hug them. It's like they only want you to hug them for like a really quick second. And then they're like, all right, now it's enough. And, you know, the visitation room just is really bland and dull. It's nothing there for the kids to do. Like when I went Mm. to them at one facility, a correctional officer got on a lady because her daughter, who was like three or two, was running around. She's like, well, you got to keep her. She's got to sit down. But how do you expect? A child yeah. young to sit down when you have yeah. to entertain them. They have no food or drinks. Like they used to yeah. have machines, but they don't have those. And yeah. nothing for them to do. Like let the toddlers read to them, color. And now in California, yeah. stuff like that. And some of the prisons in California, it's more family oriented, but majority of them. Yeah. It's terrible. I, I remember seeing some documentary where I think it was in Virginia actually and they were having like a father and daughter dance where, you know, the daughters came, they all dressed up and they were able to dance with their dads 
And it, oh my God, it just broke my heart. You know, it was just so, it was so lovely to see these little kids being able to actually, you know, dance with their dad and sit with their dad and have a, a nice little meal. And I thought, why can't it, why can't it be like that? You know, why can't they do something like that on a regular basis? It's just, it's just, it's horrible, you know. And I, and I know the prison guards here, I know, are much better than the ones in America. They're, you know. Everybody's the, better than America. <laughs> when it comes to the oh. system, everybody is better than America. America likes to torture their people. They like to they torture t- families and break family connections. Like That's what they believe in. They feel like that's going to be rehabilitation and that's going to make them realize their consequences no it does not it makes yeah it it exacerbates your mental absolutely worse yeah you know and it makes you it literally can turn you into an animal literally oh yeah yeah but to treat like you're treating people you're treating people who are coming in as though they're criminals Mm -hmm. but my thing is in america the correctional officers are doing Criminal activities to the people incarcerated. So what yes. makes it better? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like that years ago when they stopped, um, they Virginia stopped letting you sending cards and everything. I mean, oh, I hated that when that happened. But I thought you're making us, you won't let us sending cards or letters anymore, but you, you don't pat down your offices when they turn up for a shift. Like I'd see them the day we were getting married and I was just sitting out in sort of the waiting area and I saw all of these officers walk in to go to their shift and not one of them were um, searched or patted down or anything. And I thought they could have had drugs strapped to their the inside of their legs or God knows what. Could have just walked straight in, you know. Mm-hmm. No one would have been any the wiser. So it's just, you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, because over here they want to blame the families. Like the families are always the ones bringing in contraband or sending contraband when a lot of contraband is thrown over the fence and they yeah. allow them to pick it up or you have them smuggling them in. Like I've heard a story where the officer got caught bringing in smartwatches and all they did was made them turn around and go take them back to the to the vehicle. Now, if that would have been somebody incarcerated with a cell phone yeah. or a watch, they would have put them in the hole. And oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't sack them. They just sort of like uh, ask them to leave, and then they end up getting a, a job, you know, in the county over, sort of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then us family members have to suffer because we can't. We are digital mail too. Um, I knew y'all, yeah. were, and we were still on regular mail, but they just switched us to digital mail. Maybe I think it's going on two years now, and that's been a disaster. It's it's been yeah. A it's not good at all and they were like oh well correctional officers were dying from fentanyl and we got statistics and that was a lie they were yeah yeah oh they're they're not they're not ones they're not ones for being honest are they (laughs) they're never honest it's always the incarcerated yeah it's not their strong point i you know i just i hate the corruption in there i hate what they do to people and it's just horrible it really is you know it's and 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 like getting back to sentences like you know there's the science there about 10 years 10 years is basically the limit you're not going to do anything after 10 years so why keep you know why why will we know why they keep people but here you know 
you you lock people up for their entire life for what you know just so that you can be vindictive it's all about being vindictive and mm-hmm. and making money like that really making money and i mean so you know we have correction enterprise and you can go to their website i think i sent it to you where they literally make every yes you know what i'm saying so that's free labor and they're making millions yeah. of dollars off of that free labor so that's why they keep continuously to incarcerate now you got babies in there you got middle-aged yep young you got elders so you have whole communities in prison now because you want to make a dollar for free or you want to you know what I mean? it's just disgusting. yeah oh yeah yeah and i mean like as we know too you know like all of the the geriatric population what's you know what's the point why not when they come up for parole why not let them have parole you know it's just it's just costing the taxpayer dollars isn't it Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't understand how people can just sort of, well, I know people just, it, if it doesn't affect them, it doesn't affect them and they don't care. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that we, especially over here in America, I think we've been so blindfolded with thinking, oh, well, these politicians are doing what they're supposed to with our money when they're not. Like they are taking our money and they're using it in areas that is not benefiting the community. And now you have broken communities and so we have to start getting behind these people to see what they're doing with our money because this is the money that mm. you work for. <laughs> and yeah. they- yes. And so they are taking that and putting it into incarceration while we are struggling and our loved ones are being wrongfully convicted and can't get help. Yeah. Exactly. We have to yeah. Be- we you know, people have just got to get behind it, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Especially here, you know, in America, because, you know, we, we, I don't know, it's like our economy booms off of bodies instead of having thriving members in your community to, to make your state and, and United States boom and thrive. You want to make it off of torturing people and having them warehouse. Yes. It's a logic. No, I, it's, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I, you know. It's well, you just said the over there, y'all are not like y'all are not into politics. Like politics doesn't run no the world like it does over here. No, that's that's actually one of the things that I found quite jarring was how people are so divided. Like I can go to work and we can have a conversation about our different views, and we'll all we'll all be voting for a different party. But we'll actually, we can actually laugh about it and nobody gets upset or irate. Like, but over there, like when I look at it on Twitter, I mean, I know Twitter's one of these extreme type social mediums, but people really get worked up and angry and you can see the smoke coming out of the tops of their heads when they post things the hate and it's like oh my gosh like it's you know like they take it so personally you know and this whole democrats and republicans and you think man just take a chill pill like it's you know they really get invested in the whole well i don't want to talk to you if you vote for this party or i'm just like oh my god mm-hmm. like it, is, it has gotten serious over here, especially in the last few years between Democrats and Republicans. Like it feels like a yeah. gang over here with the Democrats and the Republicans, how people are yeah. so divided over 
a color in an ideology that is wrong. Like they're wrong. On both yeah. It should be about bringing everybody together and making sure yes. that your communities are whole, healthy and healing. Yes. It's not about power and greed. Here is all about power and greed and who has the most money. Yeah. Being yeah. elite. And so that's yeah. why I'm so divided, but so many people want to come over here like it's a great country. No, it's it's not. Y'all, I'm sorry. It's not what you think it is. Um, Showing now. Like we've been able to hide for so many years, but now the mask has been pulled back and people see how America really is. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the other thing too, like people get so invested in it and so angry and you think, they stop, they they forget to realise that all politicians are corrupt, you know, and it's like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I it's just it's a real eye opener for me, I must admit it. And um uh, like I don't know. It, I don't know what I'd do when I get there. I just uh <laughs> I just, I'll just make sure I'm not, I'm not sitting. I, if anyone wants to discuss politics, I'll just say I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not into uh, politics. Know, like. I'm not getting involved. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll keep my opinions to myself. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you get serious over here. So, do y'all have corruption in government? Well, I'm sure everybody does, but oh yeah, not as bad. Oh as yeah. Here. No, yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. But I mean, you know, they've all got their own agendas, and you've just, you just basically have to, you know, go with what you feel is, you know, like what you, what you feel inclined to believe in at the time. You know, their policies at the time, and um, you just, you know, vote accordingly. Because here, you have to vote; it's compulsory. You have to vote. So if you don't, so vote, what happens? You get fined. Oh. Yeah. I'm not sure what the fine is now. I know 10 years ago, I think it was like $250 or something. So it's probably gone up with inflation, no doubt. But yeah, yeah, you know, you got to vote. I don't know. It's very different. Um, things are a lot more relaxed here. Um, so are you going to miss that when you come over here? I think, I, yeah, I think I will. I used to be so keyed up and think, oh my God, I can't wait to get there. And it's so wonderful. And, you know, it was such a new experience. But then I kind of, the older I get, I realize that the differences between us culturally are huge. But I mean, it's just something that, you know, it's, I, I mean, I want to move. I want to go over there. I want to be closer to Tim. Yeah. So, I mean, there are trade offs and I'm willing to do that. So, and like, you know, you and I, we're only going to be what, an hour away from one another? Yeah. So that's, yeah. We'll be going to the football together. Yeah. So then we'll have to build up our rival conviction coalition. We will. Oh my gosh. Uh, that, that'll be one of the first things we do. Definitely. Yeah. Um, that's if, that's if I haven't been banned off Twitter for <laughs> offending too many people. I don't know. <laughs> Everybody has got their right to their own opinion. Everybody can agree to disagree or they can keep scrolling. You know what I mean? Because. Well, I'm at the point now where I don't think it really matters because I really don't have many supporters anyway. So I kind of feel like I've got free reign to just like. <laughs> Say what you want. Say what I want to say. It's true, though. Say I mean, what I want to. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, there's just not enough, you know, you know, help for wrongful convictions. Like they should be first. And no. First. 
um, but they're not. They're put in the back or in the middle or just not even recognized, really. You know, but why? That's I don't understand why we don't have the organizations. Why we don't have the number of organizations that you know other groups have. I I don't get that. I mean, I would think that that would be pretty important. But like I said, like you know, I can always uh, I can always count on you to back me up with the tweet or whatever. You know what I mean? Sure. But a lot of the people that are out there advocating for wrongful convictions. If if I quote one of their tweets and say something or add something to it, they like they run a thousand miles. They don't want they don't want to converse with me or anything. And I feel like a lot of people are just doing lip service. Don't you feel that? Yeah, a lot of people are. A lot of people are just doing it because it's a trend, not because mm. they're really trying to advocate for those who are wrongfully convicted or just to get attention. I mean Yeah. You know, unless you're yeah. in that situation and you have to deal with it, nobody really understands that side of it unless you actually have, you know, experienced wrongful conviction. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know it's uh it's a bit of a minefield, really. I, I never thought either. That's another thing. Because you always, especially in a wrongful conviction, you really need an attorney. And it's just, I don't know. I just don't feel like it's enough fierce ones and I could be wrong but I don't feel like it's enough fierce I think you're right who really want to dig into it like imagine if you take a bunch of attorneys who are really smart and put them together they could probably get millions of people out oh yeah yeah you I mean you need lots of passionate like Justin Brooks I mean he was so good for California wasn't he yeah um he was always out there out front I don't see, like, I don't see any other Justin Brooks floating around, really, you know, for the other state. That works for Northwestern. I think I might send you his name, or if not, I have to send it to you. He is basically a a fierce lawyer advocate who does whatever to try to get people out. Um, You did, yeah. Yeah. He's another fierce. Yeah. Not too many of those, though. No. No. So, but I mean, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard when you try, you want to try and get an organization happening. You want to get people behind you, but you just think, I don't know. I kind of feel like people, a lot of people are just sitting on their hands or their cases where they do have an attorney and the attorneys told them to be quiet on social media so they don't say anything. So, you know, you've got that group of people too, who are too frightened to say anything. So it's kind you, I think people who are wrongfully convicted are in a really tough basket, not just for trying to get a lawyer involved, but for advocating. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's very difficult, you know. It's it's very easy for someone who's advocating for someone for a second chance to say, oh, well, he's done all of these educational courses and he's done this and that, and you think, well, yeah, but the, a lot of those courses are mandated so that you can get parole. Right. Um, but there are, but my point is that, I mean, it's great that they've done them, but my point is it's so easy to build those people up and make this really nice little slick media package. But like, we kind of can't do that with wrongfully convicted people because we don't have an audience there that's like, well, tell me about them and we want to know and we want to get behind them. I don't feel we have that audience that the reform groups have. I think that's something that's got to be built. It does. Yeah. It really does. And it has to be built with, you know, people who have actually been wrongfully convicted. Um, and I yeah. 
urge people incarcerated to learn the law because, you know, you've been wrongfully convicted and you can help your, you know, your fellow peer get out because, you know, it takes that experience like to actually go through. Yes. It. You want to really learn the law to see how you see how for one, you're wrongly, wrongly, wrongfully convicted. And then two, to get yourself up out of that, because trying to wait on help. Is oh. A long journey. Yeah. <laughs> see people that are, you know been in there for 40 years before somebody helps them and i'm like 40 years oh, oh i know I, I i like you see you see those sentences where you know they've been exonerated after 30 40 years and you think lord they've lost their entire life entire life you know and and like there's just like a couple of tweets and it might circulate for maybe a week and then that's it Mm-hmm. And you think, how is that possible? That poor person has spent 40 years of their life incarcerated for something they didn't do and they're only worthy of a few tweets. It doesn't, it's, it doesn't get people's attention and I don't get that. I don't understand it. So what do you think we could do? I think we have to really, tr- I think we really have to push on Twitter or Social media, I think we've really got to push the point home because at the moment people just aren't listening or they don't want to listen. I think we've got to get people's attention and I think we've got to be louder than the other group because at the moment they're just drowning us out. I think we have to be louder and we have to say, hey, sit up, pay attention, look at us because we're we're the group that have got people serving 20, 30, 40 years for something they didn't do yeah yeah you got people that actually died on death row for something they didn't do yeah people on death row who are innocent absolutely Mm -hmm. i mean how how horrific is that i couldn't know like dying being executed in that environment for something i did not do horrid absolutely horrid you know yeah it is so how it's not the main focus, I do not know. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and, you know. we got to keep pushing forward, my friend. <laughs> you do. You do. I'd like to see a few more. <laughs> I'd like to see a few more people, like, you know, sort of like show interest, but mm, I don't know. But we will. We won't give up. No. No. I mean, because if we give up, then we're never going to accomplish anything. But, you know, maybe we have to be the moving force, you know, to... I think so. Well, look at you. Look at everything you're doing. I mean, that's incredible. You're like superwoman. You really are. Passionate, and I don't like when people are mistreated, especially people incarcerated, and especially the ones who haven't done anything and who have been wrongfully accused. I just, I that just burns my skin. I don't see how anybody can sleep at night treating people, any human inhumane and torture them. Of course not. I just, uh, of course, not. I just don't like shocking. It. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say something, and you're going to see my face. You're going to hear my voice. You're going to get emails. Yeah, I'm not going to go away. Yeah. <laughs> no, I when I get over there, I want to. I want these rallies to be going, and I want to see you up there on the platform talking with the mic in your hand. You might be able to talk me into saying a few things, maybe. <laughs> I've got a few rallies now. Yeah, I've, I've got a few rallies. So. I want, yeah, I want, I want to be there and take part in them with you. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's that's what that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. You know, you do. 
Well, um, Speedy, I guess we'll wrap this thing up. Um, yes. You're on a different time than us. You're 15 hours ahead of us. So thank Danny yes. for coming on and sharing her side of the story. You will hear Tim's and then you will hear Danielle's to get a perspective of, you know, wife and husband and how it feels to be, you know, separated. And then on top of that, uh, wrongfully convicted of a crime that you know you didn't commit. Um, but again, thank you, Danielle. Is there anything else that you want the um, audience? Oh, I just... I want to just thank you because, my gosh, you were such a bright light out there and I'm, I feel very grateful that our paths crossed. I feel very lucky indeed and I appreciate the fact that, you know, you wanted to invite me on your show, my gosh, because I've been listening to you on, in the car on the way to work, on the way home. So it's kind of surreal that I'm doing this now and I appreciate so much the fact that you know you had Tim on he's a much better speaker than what I am for sure but uh (laughs) but anyway um but no I I just think that thank goodness that we've got uh Sierra's out there pounding the pavement and doing the hard yards and and I think eventually it's all going to pay off I hope so because some days it just feels like I'm just I don't know (laughs) floating through yeah um, but yeah. tell them how they can find out about Tim's story because Tim has a website and I think everybody needs to go listen to his story. Yes. So his website is www.innocence4tim.com. And uh, if you go to that, you can, on, on the website, innocenceforTim.com, you can find his Facebook where uh, you can find out all the information about his case, and there's just a short little documentary that Georgetown did about um, his hi- highlighting his innocence. So, yeah, yeah that's all there. I will put the link at the bottom of the description notes so that y'all can go look at his story, share his story because he needs attention, um, just like my husband's story needs attention. They need attention. Yes, um, they, need yes to they do. Free for things they did not do. Um, so please go support them because they really need all the support they can get. Yeah, and support me on Twitter. Yes, and you'll give them your Twitter. <laughs> no, but um, it's lovely talking to you. Really lovely. <laughs> it is. It was lovely. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I appreciate you. I will. Okay, catch you soon. All righty. Bye. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Your host. Sierra Cobb. Take care.